Let's open the scriptures together this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11. We'll begin our reading at verse 17 and read to the end of the chapter. Our text will be verses tw- verse 26. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning at verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. We read God's word to that point. This morning our text is verse 26. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Beloved of God, in the context of that verse, that is our text, the Apostle Paul is rebuking the Corinthian church for partaking of the Lord's Supper in a worldly way. Some were coming to the Lord's Supper and getting tipsy off of the wine. Some were coming to it as a mere social function. And they would have a meal before the Lord's Supper, which wasn't itself wrong, but the rich were bringing all kinds of food and they weren't sharing with those who didn't have any, and it was dividing the church. 
they were not participating in the Lord's Supper in the right way by faith. Therefore, the apostle speaks to them of the purpose of the Lord's Supper. And that's why he sets forth what the Lord himself said and gives them what he received from Jesus Christ. I give you what the Lord instituted about the supper. That this is a holy meal to be taken seriously and to be partaken of in remembrance of him. And then, in our text, verse 26, the apostle adds that partaking of this holy meal in remembrance of him is also part of our public witness, which is a holy witness. And you're not giving a good witness, you church in Corinth. And that particular part of the Lord's Supper is what we want to meditate upon this morning before we come to the table ourselves. Did you ever think of your participation in the Lord's Supper as a part of your witness? It doesn't exhaust your witness, but it is a vital part of your public witness. Let's think about that for a few moments with the Spirit's help under the theme, proclaiming the Lord's death in the supper. Four points this morning. What, how, who, and when. Proclaiming the Lord's death in the supper. What is going to be the majority of our time this morning. But then also how and who and when. The text says that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are showing the Lord's death. The Greek word translated showing there, it's a good translation. The Greek word means showing in the sense of showing forth, proclaiming, making a public announcement concerning. And to do that, in a celebratory, joyful fashion. It is to make a proclamation out of the joy of your heart concerning something. When you have a baby, you make a baby announcement. People didn't know that you had a baby before that. That was something that they weren't aware of. But then you announce it, you show it forth. And you do that in a joyful way, in a celebratory way. We've had a child, and this is who the child is. And maybe here's a picture of the child. You're showing forth, proclaiming, announcing that glorious reality. In the Lord's Supper, we are announcing something, showing something forth. Not just the minister, but all of us. Ye do show forth. When ye eat this bread, when you drink this cup. So that it's not the case that it's just the minister when he he breaks the bread is showing forth the death of the Lord Jesus or when he pours into the cup. But all of us, all the people of God in the congregation are giving a public witness, a testimony, an announcement, showing forth, making known something in a joyful way. But it's not an announcement of the birth 
of the Lord Jesus, but of his death. You do show forth the Lord's death till he come. And at first that might seem a little bit strange, especially if someone would walk in here not having any idea what is going on and sit down and try to understand what's happening. That would seem kind of strange. That all of you people want to proclaim and publicly announce the death of the Lord. And want to do that continually. You keep taking the Lord's Supper and you keep showing forth and announcing His death. Who does that? Maybe when somebody dies, you make an announcement about it once and you send it out, but you don't keep doing it. You don't keep announcing that person's death and you don't do it in any celebratory way. That's a sad thing that someone dies. And yet here, the text is saying that we are announcing, showing forth the Lord's death with joy. And we keep doing it. He's dead. He's died. He's died. He's died. We want you all to know he's died. That's kind of strange. And you add to that, that we're showing forth, proclaiming the death of the Lord. The Lord's death. The King. You ought to be weeping if the King dies. But here you're, you're celebrating the fact that He died. And you're announcing it like it's some great thing. It's conceivable, I suppose. That if there was the death of a, of a kind of Lord who was a tyrant, a dictator, you might announce that death in some kind of celebratory way once. When Osama bin Laden died, there was a celebratory announcement of his death. But this is not that. This is no dictator. You confess him to be the great and glorious and gracious and lovely and beautiful king, the Lord whose death you're announcing. A perfect king. And yet you're, you're celebrating his death and showing it forth over and over and over again. Why? It's because the death of this king, beloved, is very different from any other death. And therefore, we handle his death in a way that we don't handle anybody else's death. His death was a sacrifice for sin. It was an atonement for the sins of his people once and for all. It was a victorious death. It was a death that conquered sin, the grave, Satan himself. It was the fulfillment of prophecy of Genesis 3, verse 15, so that in this death, Satan's head was crushed. That's a victorious death, a death that brings victory and life for the people of God. It was a conquering of the grave and of sin and of guilt and of shame. It was the fulfillment of the prophecy that Abraham gave to Isaac on Mount Moriah. You remember when Abraham and Isaac were climbing up Mount Moriah and Isaac asked his father, Father, here's the wood. 
And here is the fire. But where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham responded, God will provide Himself a lamb, my son. And yet God only fulfilled that in part, didn't He? There was a ram, not a lamb, that He provided in the type. So that hanging over the Old Testament, as it were, there is this question, when will come the lamb that Abraham prophesied to be provided as a sacrifice? And it's not until John the Baptist, that marvelous day, pointed to the Lord Jesus and cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world at the picture And prophecy is fulfilled. God's only Son dead as a sacrifice for sin. That's why we show it forth. That's why we announce it. Proclaim it. Publicly. Repeatedly. In a celebratory fashion. It's victory. A lamb. In Isaac's place. A lamb in your place. But when we proclaim and show forth the death of the Lord, beloved, that's not the same as saying that we proclaim and show forth a dead Lord. We're showing forth the death of the Lord, but we're not publicly announcing a dead Lord. Instead, we're proclaiming the death of someone who's not dead. Which too makes the death of the Lord unique. He didn't stay dead. The text says we proclaim, show forth his death until he come. If he's coming back, then he's not dead. We celebrate and we announce publicly the death of the one who is alive. And in whose life we have life. We proclaim that he came back from the grave, showing that he conquered sin and death and Satan and that grave. And that he's in a kind of life now that's different from our life here. He's in an advanced life. He's in heaven's life, not subject to death anymore. Any of the effects of death. And that from that life in which he inhabits, he sends a bit of that to us here in this world and in this life, so that that life is within us. A life that will not taste death, so that when my body dies, that life will remain. We proclaim the death and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that He's coming back again because He's alive. He's going to deal with every vestige of death that remains. That's quite something. Most of the time, the death of a king ends his lordship. But here, the death of this king only further advances his lordship, his kingship. And so we announce it. We show it forth publicly that he's alive and he rules at the right hand of God and he's coming back again. But there's still more yet, even to what we are announcing, showing forth publicly. 
As we answer that question, that first question, what are we showing forth? It's not only the fact that we're showing forth his death as a sacrifice for sin, a victorious death, and not only that it's a death that didn't hold him, but that he's alive right now. With his life, he can give us the victory in his death. But we're proclaiming, each one of us, that that death, that life, was for me. When you send out an announcement of the birth of a baby, you don't send it out about somebody else's baby. But God has given me this child, and out of the joy that is yours from this gift, you show this forth, you make this public announcement. So too, when you make this proclamation in the partaking of the Lord's Supper, you're not making it in such a way that you say, well, Generally speaking, his death is this. Or it is this for other people. And he's alive for other people. But out of your own heart and soul, it is this for me. And so out of my soul comes this joy, this celebratory announcement. He's conquered sin, death, and the grave for me. And I know it. He's alive for me. And his life is within me. And the benefits of all that he's done are mine I walk with him and I talk with him and he's returning for me someday. You're making a very personal announcement, a proclamation in the Lord's Supper of his death and his life that's mine. That helps us then to understand to whom we're making this proclamation. Four audiences. To whom are you saying these things? Well, first of all, you're making this proclamation to God Himself. In the worship of the church, we say to God, I see this Christ represented in this bread and wine whom you set out before me. And I know Him. And I love Him. And I need more of Him. I need to be united to Him. And in worship to Thee, I lay hold of Him. And I proclaim publicly, Thou art the God who has sent Him. And I love Thee for it. Second, we proclaim it to the children and the youth here who are not spiritually mature enough to partake themselves. Fathers and mothers are saying something to their children here. Grandfathers and grandmothers, all of us are saying something together to the children of the church, showing forth the death of the Lord to them and saying, this is the only thing matters at the end of the day in my life, my child. And though I do a thousand things during the week, and though I do a hundred thousand things in the few months between partaking of the supper, this is everything to me. And all of my life is in the light of this. And He is my Lord and my King and my hope and my only comfort in life and in death, and He's my identity. And I want Him to be yours. And I want you to grow, child, and to mature, and to come and partake with me one day. It's a public example, a public witness to them. 
all of us together say to them, come, children, come, youth, grow and mature and confess him and partake of him with us. His death in life is everything. Third, we proclaim, show forth the death of the Lord to each other when we partake for the encouragement of each other, for the strengthening of one another, that we don't come and partake of this sacrament in this meal by ourselves, but with one another. And we speak to each other. Yes, I too live for Him. Yes, I too receive of Him in this world. There are some of us who have jobs in which we feel very alone for our confession. Some of us who are in school and we feel very alone for our confession. What an encouragement and what a joy to come here and to partake of the Lord's Supper together and to show forth with one voice the Lord Jesus Christ to announce and to hear others announce His death for me. And finally, fourthly, we're proclaiming this death of the Lord Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for sin to anybody in all the world who would care to hear it as a public witness to anyone and to everyone. This is broadcast over the internet. This is performed in a public place. And should the eyes of the entire world be upon us and look and watch and wait, are they going to partake or are they not? Are they going to stand on the side of Jesus Christ in this world or will they not? If terrorists were watching, if the whole agenda for defying the law of God in this world, those who promote it were watching, what will they do? They would take and give a public witness and show forth that this is everything to me. That's the what. How? How do we make this proclamation in the Lord's Supper? Because usually when you make an announcement, you do it by writing or by speaking, right? You make a baby announcement and you call people on the phone and you tell them and show forth what's happened or you send something out over the internet in writing. But with this, nobody's standing up to give a speech. Nobody's saying anything. Nobody's writing anything. How do you proclaim the Lord's death in the supper? In this case, we do it not by words, but by actions. For as often as you eat this bread... And drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he come. By virtue of the eating and by virtue of the drinking, you make this proclamation. Because of three things. That's true that you make this proclamation by eating and drinking first. Because by actively participating in a meal that is designed to remember the death and sacrifice and coming again of Jesus Christ. You are saying something. Participation is proclamation. 
Participation is acceptance. Participation is saying, I am one with what is occurring here and the meaning of what is occurring here. Something important to remember, young people on Friday night. Oh, I'll just go, but I'm not really a part. Participation is proclamation. Participation is acceptance. And so to hear in the partaking of the Lord's Supper. It may be that we're simply here, simply observing what's going on on the outside, looking in on the fringes, just, just kind of visiting. But when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're saying, I am a part of this. I am in on this. All that it signifies is true of me. It could be. Somebody from work or somebody you know from college happens to walk in and they, and they see you here, but, well, maybe they're just, maybe they're just checking things out. Or maybe this is just part of tradition to them. Their families went here, but they, they don't actually believe this, this Christ and his death as being that significant. When you partake, you're proclaiming, this is me. I'm all in on this. I'm a part of this. Participation is proclamation. Second, we proclaim the Lord's death by the eating and the drinking because of the pictures of the Lord's Supper and the picture that the eating and drinking itself is in the partaking of this sacrament. As one physically takes and eats that bread and physically takes that cup and drinks that wine, it is a picture of a spiritual reality that faith, the hand and mouth of the soul, is laying hold of Jesus Christ Himself and taking Him in as my Christ whom I need. And therefore, when you partake, you are proclaiming something Proclaiming something different, of course, than if you would eat a piece of bread and drink a cup of wine at your home. That's why the text says, when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He come. You're not showing His death when you eat bread and wine at home. But this bread and this cup has been set aside to be a picture of this Christ, His broken body and His shed blood. And now by you partaking, faith is laying hold of that and saying, he's mine. And then third, finally, the reason why in eating and drinking, you are proclaiming, showing forth the death and life of the Lord Jesus is because you're doing it in response to the call of Christ himself. As you know, the worship service is a holy dialogue of the covenant people with their God in Jesus Christ. And the Lord's Supper is a part of that dialogue, that back and forth. Christ Himself is the host of this supper. And in a few moments, when I walk over there and I say, take, eat, this is my body 
it's not my body that's broken for you. I'm not telling you this. I'm speaking on behalf of Christ. This is Christ's word. Take this and eat it. It's my body that's broken for you by virtue of the fact that you respond to that command and that call that is Christ's call and you do take it and you do eat it. You are proclaiming something. Christ has told me to do this. And I am unto Him. And I receive Him. I proclaim in response to His voice that I'm united to Him. And I want more union with Him. You're giving a witness without words when you eat and drink by faith. When who eats and drinks by faith? Who makes this proclamation of the death and life of the Lord Jesus? Well, in the text, it's the believing and faithful, repentant members of the church in Corinth. As often as you, plural, you all eat this bread and you all drink this cup, which is first the Corinthian church. But notice, it wasn't everyone in the Corinthian church. You go back to chapter 5. And there was a man who was not allowed to participate. But who, in fact, had been excommunicated. For a sin that he wasn't repentant of. Of incest. And then verse 27 of our chapter tells us that those who may eat are those who are repentant. Who lead regular lives Repentance, faith, daily conversion to God. There's a call then to the elders to guard the table, isn't there? Do all in their power to ensure that when this proclamation rises up, it's a proclamation that rises out of faith. A genuine showing forth of the death and life of the Lord out of a heart of joy. And of course, they're limited. They're not omniscient. But they do as they can faithfully. But then on the other side, knowing that the apostle says, you all, congregation, come and partake. Not that one who's been disciplined unto excommunication and to this point doesn't have a repentant heart. But then the rest of you all come. The weak and the strong. Come, says the apostle. You all together and partake. You need this Christ. And out of your need, you show forth who he really is by saying, I find grace in him and strengthen him. When often As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, Lord's Supper is different from baptism. Baptism is once as a picture of our rebirth, but the Lord's Supper is a picture of our constant nourishment uh, from Jesus Christ and His death and resurrection. It's a continuous thing, and therefore we give a continuous public witness that His death and His life are for me. The Apostle doesn't set forth a prescription for how often 
The Bible never does that. There's some freedom in that. Our church order says at least every three months. But often, continuously, and of greater importance, is that we continue to do this until He comes. You show forth the death of the Lord until He comes. That we give this public showing. Make a public witness of what His death and life is. In this way too, in the partaking of these symbols, until He comes back. For the glory of His name. For the witness to others. For the witness to each other. When He returns, beloved, we won't need to proclaim this anymore. Everyone will know by virtue of His coming. And all the saints will be gathered in. And then, the Lord will eat with us personally and sit down with us in the new heavens and new earth. Until then, come. Let's proclaim the Lord's death in the supper. Amen. Father, we ask for thy blessing upon this sacrament now as we partake of this meal by faith, and upon the witness that it is to. In Jesus' name, amen.